0: Welcome to the weekly message from Rhema Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another Worldview night. It's so exciting to be here. Um, Warm welcome to everybody tuning in online as well. And um, as you can see, I'm not alone here tonight. Uh, I have Sandra Goody with me as well. Welcome back. It's good to have you back. Um, I remember the last time we were together, we actually talked on death and immortality. And um, you've actually written a book since that moment. Um, And I just wanted to, it's it's right here. It's called Reaching for Immortality. Can science cheat death? and I've got to admit I have started it I haven't finished it yet, but um, I just wanted to give you just a brief minute if you wanted just to um, yeah explain what's that experience been like for you with the book
1: Right, okay. Um, well, first of all, what the book's about is um, basically comparing and contrasting the idea of the Christian idea of immortality, which is resurrection from the dead and eternal yeah. life. Um, and contrasting that with um, the transhumanism ideology that is trying to um, create immortality without God, especially through technology. So there's um, there's commonalities in terms of the desire to live forever, to be you know um, to overcome death and suffering and and all those sort of things. But there's um, great contrasts in different anthropologies and visions of the future and stuff like that. So I go into, um, yeah, some, some depth about what transhumanism is and, um, and hopefully concisely set out what um, the Bible says about immortality and the world to come and the resurrection and, um, yeah...
0: Super talk cool. About the, talk
1: about the differences. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very cutting-edge topic. I mean, a lot of people, even people who don't believe, are talking about the transhumanist ideals and, um, you know, Humanity Plus and, you know, what the future holds for us as human beings. Um, and they get very excited about it. <laughs> but oh. there's some um, very grave dangers about it, and I point that out.
0: That's so exciting. I, I think it's a fascinating topic. Um, and it actually sort of segues nicely into tonight... Um, Last time I spoke just a few weeks ago, we talked on judgment, looking at the Bible, what the Bible has to say about judgment, um, principles and purposes behind God's judgment. Um, And we're not going to go through that tonight. Um, For anyone who's interested, you can watch that online, I'm pretty sure. Um, There's a recording of that. But we left tonight's subject to be on, well, tonight, a different night, because we just thought that eternal judgment... Um, was a topic that needed its own um, space because it's such a dense topic. There's a lot to go through and it um, just wouldn't do it justice. So um, here we are tonight. We're going to do an hour um, on this. The topic is, as I said, eternal judgment. We're going to be looking at the topic of um, particularly hell, looking at eternal punishment, eternal judgment of that sort um, so although judgment can mean more than just punishment, it can also mean rewards and things like this in Scripture, we're going to be focusing on the punishment side of things because I think that's where the conversation often goes, is um, I think there's more ink that's been spilled in that area than on the other. So um, that's where we are tonight. Um, maybe a question that's relevant, uh, worth asking now, is why talk about hell? Um, Firstly, I think that because the Bible talks about hell as a Christian, from a Christian worldview uh, perspective, we need to address it. Um, secondly, I think that hell isn't really talked about much, and sometimes, unfortunately, when it is talked about, I think there is a bit of blurriness and a lack of precision, and so uh, as a result, we're left sometimes not really knowing exactly what hell is or um, how that paints God, or how God can be still perhaps um, good or loving, and still hell be a reality, and so there's all sorts of questions that that come up in um, people's minds, and so I know I can speak on behalf of of um, some of us here at least. Um, as a Christian, in the past, hell's concerned me, um, the concept of hell. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be we're going to dive in, look at what the Bible says about hell. Um, why or what is it about hell that keeps people talking. Um, It's not that infrequent that a new book comes up addressing the topic of hell. Um, Rob Bell, about a decade ago, wrote a book called Love Wins. um, And he came to the opinion that um, hell wasn't exactly how it's been taught. You know, you see Dante or this infernal pictures in the past of hell where it's rings of fire and and whatnot um he wrote a book on on it and basically came to a different conclusion saying that ultimately because god is love um that god wins and because love saves ultimately god will save everybody he puts it in different words to that but that's that effect so he would look at hell from that perspective which would be called universalism um There's another book by Francis Chan called Erasing Hell. Um, That was another popular book that came out several years ago. Um, You've got The Fire That Consumes by Edward Fudge. Um, Some of these books I've got here as well. Um, They're they're good reads, they're really good books. They they dive you into the topic of hell. Um, And I think it's important to realize that hell is a topic that just keeps coming back up again. No matter what century you land in, Hell is one of those topics that just keeps coming back up. And so I think it's good to talk about. So um, we're going to address that. Um, I think it does raise interesting questions as well. And we're going to get into some questions soon, some of the big questions surrounding hell and God. Um, But just straight off the bat, I wanted to introduce... um, how hell has been seen throughout church history, not just from a perspective of maybe 21st century um, Protestantism or Pentecostalism, which is how I've been raised, um, but also looking at how hell has been introduced throughout the church in the 1st century, 2nd, 3rd century, some of the early church fathers. um, What did they think about hell? Um, And then also looking in the middle sort of centuries, has it always been this view? Has hell always been the view that I think we're mostly familiar with, which is called eternal conscious torment? That is the view that um, ultimately those who go to hell are um, separated from God for all eternity, and there's no chance or hope for them to, to be reconciled back to God. Um, not just that they're there in hell, but also that they are in a place of torment or suffering uh, and that is ongoing forever. And so um, that's the traditional view of hell, or at least it's, con- it's called eternal conscious torment. That's the dominant view throughout church history. That's the view that um, most people think of. A second view which comes up also early in church history and, and almost every century up until now is what's called conditional immortality or better known as annihilationism. This is a view of hell that... Um, Teaches that those who go to hell, they are tormented, but ultimately the purpose of hell is to destroy um, the the person. It's not to maintain their existence forever um, in suffering or torment, but it is ultimately to destroy them. Um, and that's based on the fact that they are not immortal. So what that means is immortality is only a gift that's given to those who are saved. That immortality immortality is not a something that's given to the non-believer or to somebody who goes to hell. Um, They will be raised, but they will not be raised uh, immortal. um, And so that they will ultimately perish. So that's that view. Um, And then there is another view. This is all just very skimmed through here. Um, The last view which comes up is called universalism, which I touched on earlier. Um, That is the view that those who go to hell are, do experience torment, do experience whatever the um, whatever hell is. Um, they go through it, but that the purpose of hell is for reconciliation. And so the fire, or whatever the experience of hell is, is not to torment them primarily, it's not to consume them or destroy them primarily, but it is to restore them, it's to purify them, and it's to bring them to be... Um, Essentially maybe to hit rock bottom or to to bring them back to God Um, Very controversial Um, So, you know tonight my goal is not to push any particular view on anybody Um, It's it's not to make someone believe something. It's my goal tonight is to share some of these views um, to look at the scripture and see what the Bible has to say on um, these words like hell um, words like Gehenna words like Hades, um, and see what we can find. Um, My goal tonight is to show that hell is just and that God is good. Hell is just and God is good. Um, So I think we could probably start with Scripture verses. Is that a good idea? Could we dive into the Bible just a little Let's look at some scripture verses um, and see what the Bible is actually saying first before we try and and look at any other considerations. Um, Here's some of the common scripture verses that come up when you talk about hell, um, when you hear people conversations about hell, or when you just read scripture. These are some of the big ones. Uh, We're all familiar with Matthew 25, verse 46, where Jesus is describing the sheeps and the goat on either side. And he says that these will go away into eternal punishment um, but the righteous into eternal life so you can see the contrast you've got eternal life on one side uh, and you've got eternal punishment on the other side the language that jesus uses here is eternal for both um, but one is life and one's punishment another one is matthew chapter 5 verse 29 to 30 he says if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away For it is better that you lose one of your members than to lose your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than for you to lose your whole body in hell or for your whole body to go to hell revelation 14 9 to 11 and another angel a third followed them saying with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast And its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So there's, there's that language of um, torment, fire, sulfur. Smoke of the torment going up forever and ever, and there's no rest day or night. That's a big one. That's one of the main ones that comes up in this conversation. Um, Revelation 20 verse 10 is another big one. And it says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Again, repeating a similar um, vibe on that. There's a story of Lazarus and the rich man. This one comes up a lot too. This is in Luke um, chapter 16, verse 23 to 25. And it says, in Hades, being in torment... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, but Lazarus in a like manner, bad things. And Lazarus and the like men are bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. So we see that there's a similar concept and theme of torment. There's a concept of, of anguish, flame, anguish, um, and there's this chasm that's between um, Lazarus and the rich man where he can't go somewhere, so it seems to be completely um, shut off. Um, Daniel twelve two, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So this language of contempt um, comes up. Everlasting contempt as opposed to everlasting life. Matthew eight twelve, We'll just do a couple more of these. Um, there are so many, so we'll just target a few more. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Mark adds an extra thing onto this than what Matthew did. And he says, um, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, He is quoting Isaiah 66, 24 here when he phrases that. He says, and when you read Isaiah sixty six twenty four, it says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Um, so again, another point emphasizing the same thing, that hell seems to be this fiery concept. It seems to be a dark concept. Um, there's language of worms not dying um, fires that are unquenchable um, this is what comes up in in the conversation on hell so you can see a picture using these scripture verses you can you can understand that that hell definitely includes something to do with torment fire anguish um, this kind of thing so it sounds like a place no one you know I don't want to go there it's um it's a pretty brutal sounding place um, think for time's sake too we could probably look at um, now that we've covered some of those main scriptures I think there are some good questions I think that come up from that um, I'm wondering where you wanted to go from here with this one Sandra:
1: well I, I suppose I think we should begin by saying um, you know looking at those scriptures that hell is very real that we cannot um, say it doesn't exist um, It's very real and it's very horrible you know whether you believe in eternal conscious torment or um, at the end a complete annihilation or extinction as some people would say it's still a horrible thing it's it's an eternity without god and of course the um you know the corrobory to that is eternal life Um, so it is a very um, serious subject it's something that we don't talk about much and we don't talk about much because also we don't know a lot about the afterlife and we have just shards of light in the scripture that tells us it's real. But there's a lot that we don't know as well. So often we just sort of throw it into the too hard basket and we don't want to talk about it. But there is a lot to be gleaned from scripture um, to give us a really good handle on reality. Um, did you want to start with that first question? Well,
0: about yeah, I mean, life? I think... When I when I first went through these scripture verses, immediately you know questions come to mind. One of the first one was looking at the nature of hell and why it's so controversial. So there are those three views that I've mentioned um, that some people hold to, um, that the church has held to in different stages. Um, are there any other contribute you know contributions or factors that might influence or Lead somebody to take a particular view on hell, or I'm thinking of um, some atheists that I've had conversations with in, in my life where hell has been the reason they don't want to believe in God because they see it being so inconsistent with, say, a loving God. Um, what, are there any things that come to mind for you as to why hell's so controversial, even inside the church?
1: Yeah, well, many. I think there's many different reasons yeah. why um, the whole concept of hell is controversial. Firstly, um, we kind of, in this world, we live in a bit of fog <laughs> in terms of reality, spiritual realities, um, and we only see in a, a glass dimly. Um, and also, you know, um, if we're not walking with God, we're just um, basically we're going off our senses and, and living for this world. Um, So people don't often think of the next world unless and until they're confronted with death and then all of a sudden they want to know what happens to you when you die. So a lot of people put that question off until they have to confront it. Um, Then, of course, there's a lot of, um, you know, misperceptions about hell and and wrong understandings of it and or, um, you know, people who have not actually represented it well. Um, Then there's the, I think... The other thing that I was speaking about this afternoon, like the English word for hell um, is sort of in the in our Bible, but if you go to the original languages, you'll understand that there's not just one hell. So like in the Old Testament, the Jewish word was Sheol, which is just basically the place of the dead. You go to the grave, you go to the place of the dead, which is basically just a holding place until either the resurrection or judgment. Um, so Shoal is the Jewish word and the Greek word for that is Hades so there's a lot of um, you know a lot of talk about Hades and Shoal in the Old Testament um, and it's only in the New Testament that Jesus uh, talks about Gehenna and then of course there's the allusion to the garbage dump which has actually been debunked <laughs> yeah. but um, the allusion to the garbage dump or the valley of Hinnon is actually where um, the Jews used to, um, well apostate Jews used to sacrifice their sons and daughters you know to Baal and that so it was it was a wicked thing and and the Lord was totally against that and so Jesus and the apostles use Gehenna Mm. as a metaphor for eternal judgment and eternal hell Mm. so um you know that that mean, like it was real. Just because he uses a metaphor, doesn't mean that eternal yeah, judgment right. is not real. Yeah. And then you've got um, a lot of confusion about, gosh, how do I start? Oh. A lot of confusion about the intermediate state. So when one dies, where do you go then? And then um, then there's. Like Then there's the first resurrection when Jesus comes back the second time. And then there's the millennial reign of Jesus for a thousand years on the earth. And then there's the second resurrection when the rest is um, resurrected from the dead. And then there's the great white throne judgment that's at the end of this age. And that's in Revelation 20. And then you've got um, from there you have sort of the most definitive um, expression of what we can understand about you go to, the, you know, if your name was not in the Book of the Life, you go to the Lake of Fire. So the Lake of Fire is different to being in the ground, Shoal and um, Hades, because that's an intermediate state. So that intermediate state, whether you're in the... Um, yeah, yeah, so, so it, it gets confusing. So people often confuse scriptures when they look at the scriptures and they, um, you know, they confuse that and that's relating to the millennium or that's relating to heaven, which heaven itself is an intermediate state for the righteous. So when we die as believers, when believers die, they go straight to heaven to be with the Lord. There's many scriptures that undergird that, to be absent in in the body, body, to be present with the Lord, Mm. Um, and just so many even in the Old Testament. Mm. Um, So the righteous go straight to be with the lord but the wicked are basically held in in Sheol or hades um until the resurrection so that's kind of almost like a prison holding cell <laughs> until the judgment yeah. so and even getting back to like so and mitch pointed out and you know the orthodox view is really that we have undying souls and so if we have undying souls that means you can't be extinguished. You
0: can't <laughs> Ultimately.
1: So really, you know, whether you take the eternal conscious torment or the annihilation view, um, it, it actually turns on whether or not our soul is immortal. So as some theologians um, just assume. Well, I shouldn't say assume. Um, the the orthodox or the dominant view is that we do have an undying soul Mm. which means that you can't be extinguished which means there needs to be like a prison for those in rebellion to God in the end Mm. Um, but then many other theologians and and Mitch has alluded to them have come up and even back in the first century and everything um, they believed in extinction so there would be a time of um, complete extinction there's a lot of questions around that why would God torment the wicked forever and ever. Um, So, yeah, my own personal view actually is a little bit of a combination of both, and I won't go into that just yet. (laughs) But it all depends on, like, when we're talking in the age. So you've got all the age up until, um, you know, Jesus comes back, then you've got the great white throne judgment, then Revelation 21 is new heavens and new earth. Mm. So I... Personally, maintain that eternal conscious torment or well conscious term torment when you're dead and you're wicked that is a very real thing and I think the scriptures absolutely replete with it um and I do believe that we stay conscious when we die you know regardless um so and that is tormenting if you're apart from God you know um mm. but at the end of the age uh, uh when the lake of the fire, and it says all those in Shoal and Hades and in the sea and in the abyss and everything get thrown into, and death itself yeah. gets thrown into the lake of fire, well, there is a, an argument that at that point, and where it, um, the scripture says that death itself it dies.
0: It's death and Hades thrown into the lake That's of right. the fire. That's right. So all of yeah, those death death.
1: sort of holding places get, um, once the final judgment, yeah. great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, they all get thrown into the lake of fire and then that consumes and annihilates everything. So I'm open to that view that at the very end of the age, the annihilation, and then you have the eighth day in the Jewish sort of... um, Calendar, which is new heavens, new earth, and one of the rabbis I follow, he says there is no lake or fire in the new earth. So that would mean that is sort of a combination of like extinction at the very end of the age, but up until that time, like in this universe, and mm-hmm. it says you know when the sun and the moon and like this is how the covenant is. It goes till the end of the age. Um, there is this consciousness of every soul, whether you're alive or dead. So when we die, we separate from our body, but we don't die yet, um, that's just the death of our body, so we remain in a spiritual form until the, the great white throne judgment, and then it says, you know, that that's the second death, so the second death is when you die spiritually. Um, so, anyway, that's probably why there's a lot of confusion and it's so controversial because people have got scriptures, you know, that back their view on this, annihilation or eternal conscious torment or universalism. As you see, I haven't said much about that because <laughs> I don't think there's much scriptural support yeah. but Mitch will <laughs> probably say something more about that.
0: <laughs> it is considered the, the out of the three to be, I mean, most people don't really appreciate that view at all. Um, I was I was actually on that note, I was surprised to see that there actually have been a fair few theologians in the past, early church fathers who were universalists and also today, currently. Um so it's not like this completely nobody believes it sort of thing. There are actually some legitimate scholars who defend this view, um and are, you know, evangelical, Bible believing Christians and you know, so it's it's not like they're these heretics who hate God and hate His Word and believe that everyone's going to get saved. They're people who um, at least claim to have read the Scripture diligently and, you know, which says that often this topic comes down to interpretation. Um, Something that's really, really important with looking at Scriptures is how does that particular verse or word, what's the context of that? Verse, well, yeah, con- context is everywhere. And
1: as I said, you know, does yeah. this relate to the period up until judgment? Or, you know, is does this yeah. relate to the millennium? Does this relate to heaven? Does this relate to the world to come? Yeah. And I think because most Christians haven't... Dug deep enough into the scriptures to understand the context of each scripture, and they just sort of all say, Oh, it all belongs to heaven and it all belongs to hell. Mm. But you know, as you can see, there's quite a complex unfolding of the way God does things, and He is infinitely just in the way that He does it. Yeah,
0: you that's know? the thing. And <laughs> so, hell being controversial as well today, I mean, um, do you think that there are anything, there's anything maybe in the church? That has, um, because I, let me say this: I, I've found that there has been a bit of a trend to pull away from the eternal conscious torment view of hell, um, not just in the literature, like in you know um, academia, but also just um, popularly, just on the layman level. I found that that a lot of people are starting to question that now. Um, perhaps more than ever. I don't know. I, I can't comment on that, but. Is there something that maybe influences that at all that comes to mind or is there something, yeah, my, my question is why is it so, why does it seem so controversial, the eternal conscious torment view for even Christians in the church?
1: Well, uh, again, I think there's a lot of reasons why. Mm. Um, and I think one of them, if I could be so bold to say, is that I think we think too highly of ourselves. <laughs> That's a good point. (laughs) You know, and we think that our judgment, um, we're so much wiser and more compassionate than God, and I wouldn't do that, therefore God wouldn't do that. And I think we really need to humble ourselves and, you know, elevate the authority of the word and to understand that the word of God sets the standards and tells, like, God reveals himself to us. And we have to accept who he is as he reveals himself rather than us putting onto God an image of God that we would prefer or like because we are fallen human beings and he is not. Mm. So I think we need to let dictate God dictate who he is to us so I, I do think there's that element of human pride that doesn't want to deal with the fact that they need to be punished for anything or in fact stand accountable to God for anything yeah. um, so I think that that is a real issue but apart from that I do think um, you know this topic has been mismanaged sometimes and that people are looking like deeper into the research and as I said getting a more complex understanding and a more nuanced argument about hell that it's not just sort of like in a sense well in the end it is black and white but there's so many things that lead up to that and in the justice of God and um, and there's so many you know God is so gracious and so merciful and He's his heart towards us is you know that no one go there Like, hell itself was not made for humans. It was made for the devil and his angels. It it was only made, basically, for, you know, unrepentant um, hearts or creatures, whether they're angels or humans, Mm. who, you know, like, persistently, um, you know, resist God's grace and mercy. Mm. Um, So it's not God's fault, (laughs) as it were, that people live in eternity without him unfortunately because of free will some people choose to go there which is it sounds horrible but mm. um and, the, and they may not want they may not want the consequences mm. of being apart from god but they refuse to submit their will to god and that the necessity of that means that there are consequences yeah. you can't be separate you know you can't you know, and God's got every right to um, rid evil in the universe and to That's right. um, judge people who want to corrupt his good creation.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask that very next thing. Like, oh, right. what <laughs> does hell say about um, sin? I mean, why, why if sin, you know, God's willing to make this place where sin and evil resides, what does that say about sin?
1: Well, sin is very grave and the wages of sin is death. And God wants to eradicate sin. And mm. he He actually did that. He, yeah. he did the, the means to eradicate sin was the atonement of Jesus Christ. Mm. So Christ, as our, the representative mm. of the human race, was, was punished for our sins. Mm. He took the punishment in our stead so we didn't have to. So he has dealt with sin because sin is something that corrupts the human race. And he loves us so much, he wants to remove that which corrupts us. So he has dealt with sin uh, uh, through himself. Like he didn't even ask us to pay for our own sins. He says, I know you can't pay for your own sins. I will pay I will pay it for you. It's like, you know, a parent going like their child's going to prison or whatever and they need bail or whatever. It's like, I will pay for you. You can't pay. So God has done that in an eternal way for us. So we don't go to hell because we're sinners or because we don't have a perfect record. We go to hell because we trample on the mercy of God, the blood of Jesus. Like It's like God says, here's a way, like Jesus Jesus has made a way for you so you do not have to pay for your own sins. All you have mm. to do is receive his righteousness and live in his righteousness. And that's a just that's just a wonderful gift. Mm. So you you only go <laughs> to the other place when you refuse the gift. Mm. So you don't have to be perfect. Every person in heaven has been a sinner. Every human being in heaven has been a sinner at one point. So we don't go to heaven because we're not sinners, but we've been redeemed. Mm. But, you you know, you do go to hell because you refuse a gift. You refuse the gift of eternal life. You refuse the gift of what Christ has done. And, Mm. And quite seriously, he couldn't do any more for us. He couldn't do any more for us. He made a way for us to escape the consequences of our own sin. And that's Mm. all hell is. It's the consequences of our own sin. Mm. Like the wages of sin is death. So all your sins you've done, there's like a payment for it (laughs) accumulating in your life. Mm. And you see this as people grow old and they, you know, they don't forgive and they keep offenses. They just sort of get more and more gnarly. Yeah. and like you know when you die you just keep going in the pathway that you were on this
0: earth oh man that's that's terrifying
1: it is terrifying and that's why mm. you know and we were just having this conversation um about like how some people come to christ through the fear of hell and mm. um just before we started and and i said to mitch i said yeah and then you know mitch brought up well it should be from the kindness of God, and you know the, God's good nature, and I said, yeah, it's both. But we, we should come to Christ um, out of fear of God, not fear of hell. Mm. So fear that we'd be mm. missing out on this wonderful God and this wonderful life that He promises us.
0: Mm. That's awesome stuff. I, mm-hmm. I agree with almost everything, not everything that you said there. <laughs> um, what about um, the hell? Hell being not proportionate to the crime so this is one thing that comes up I've, I've come across this so the sin that any human can commit in this life the totality of your sins let's say still would not earn or deserve an eternal infinite ongoing punishment it seems that there's something a little bit unfair about that
1: you. <laughs>
0: so how can an infinite hell or an eternal hell um, be justified or can it, how can it be just or right if the sin was just temporary or for just a small, almost in light of eternity, infinitesimally small? Um, so what do you think about that one?
1: Hmm. Well, two things about that. First of mm-hmm. all, and some people don't realise this, but the, the scripture doesn't teach that there's just like, one place called heaven and one place called heaven. Both in heaven and hell, there's gradations of um, like areas, or I'm not quite sure, punishment or rewards and things like that, because yeah. it says for rewards, you know, you'll you'll shine like the stars or, you know, yeah. one brighter than the other, etc. So there's different um, levels in heaven mm. and there's also different levels in hell. Again, that's mm. scriptural. It talks, it says, you know, it goes to the lowest, like Tartarus is the lowest place in hell where the fallen angels are bound in prison until the day of judgment from Genesis 6. Um, So there's different levels and also too again, scripture is replete with the principle that we will, that God is just and that he will reward us according to our deeds and our works. So there's different levels. So you you know like granny down the road is not going to go to the same place as say Hitler or someone. So there is proportionality in rewards and judgment. It's not just that black or white two places to go. Um, the second thing I was going to say was. <laughs> remember what was, what was the second was? thing?
0: question was how is it proportionate? How is it fair? It's infinite and eternal on one yes. end but the crime was just temporary and finite. Yes. So
1: the other thing that came to mind was Um, So you're looking at it in terms of a ledger, (laughs) you Mm. know. Well, I'm not saying you, but people who ask this Mm. question, they're looking at in terms of a ledger of good things and bad things. You know, I've done 90% good things, 10% bad things. I should, you know, I should shouldn't Mm. the the scales tip and I go to heaven? mm. But the thing is that God does not um, judge like that. As I said before, Mm. we don't. You know, it's not because of our sins or not sinning that we go to heaven and hell it's our relationship to Christ so where we stand to Christ so the thing is whether you've just sinned a bit but if you are rebellious towards Christ who is a holy infinite being a whole if you are rebellious against a holy infinite being doesn't matter like if you're good good girl or a good boy but if you are rebellious in your heart of hearts against a holy infinite being well you and and you are this is presuming that we are immortal souls that we are undying souls i should say right right um you would have to go to a place of infinite separation with God. So it's got nothing to do with, like, you know, how many sins you've had and, you know, nay that's not worthy to go to hell. It's like if you are in rebellion, and I believe everybody gets to face Christ and either accepts him or rejects him. So if you reject Christ, you reject a holy, infinite being who's given you a way of escape, you... Justly deserve to be sent to a place without his presence, um, and that's how I would answer that. I think
0: that's a good answer. I don't know
1: whether that would satisfy some people, but yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, some people can't be satisfied no matter what answer you give them, but I, I think that's good. One, um, another one I've heard is that um, people keep on sinning in hell, and so hell's not a punishment for just temporary sin that they did before death hell is actually a punishment for just ongoing sin in eternity as well. And so um, some people say that it's sort of, it's kind of like this in eternity you sin and God judges it or just maintains his wrath upon, you know, that, that sinner, or that person. And it just continually multiplies. It just continues to go on perpetually. And so it's not a punishment for temporary sin. It's an eternal punishment for eternal sins. Um, hmm. Uh, but I like what you said about it's more to do with the person that you've offended, that you've think, sinned yeah. against, I you've sinned against an eternal being. It's more being. to do
1: with the relationship. Like, I don't know whether you've got the opportunity mm. to go on sinning or not in the intermediate state. Um, however, you are still in rebellion towards God. You know, like your attitude, your relationship towards God is, you know, animosity. Um, and then until you cannot be reconciled to God until you repent. <laughs> it's just... That's just 101. And, and that's why it doesn't it matter is. how good you are or, you know, how good you think you are, if you have animosity towards Christ, you cannot live in his presence. Mm. I mean, it just wouldn't even, you wouldn't even want it. Yeah.
0: What about the, um, the problem of a loved one who's maybe not with you in heaven? So let's say some close family member um, didn't make it, um, would that be like heaven for you, knowing that they're not with you forever? And not just that they're not with you forever, but they're actually in a place of suffering and torment forever. Would that seem to put a bit of a wet dampener on heaven a little bit? (laughs) I mean, yeah, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, I know a lot of people ask that. They go, well, you know, it wouldn't be heaven if so-and-so wasn't there with me. But a couple of things about that question. First of all, one really needs to trust in God, that he is righteous. And, you know, there's a scripture that says, will not the Lord of all the earth do what is just? So our confidence is in God's judgment. Again, you know, like he, he is far more compassionate and merciful and just and righteous than we are. So, you know, we can say we think so-and-so should be here and there and all the rest of it. <laughs> but it's really up to God to decide. So we can't put God on the dock, as it were, and judge him for um, judging other people harsh or whatever. Um, secondly, I think once we get to heaven or once we get into the presence of God and instead of seeing dimly now but we see him face to face and all reality is kind of open and you probably don't have as many questions as you thought you would because you would just know, I think your perspective would be um, profoundly different than it is now. And we won't have those sort of thoughts, um, and we won't—we certainly won't be criticising God, and we will understand that His judgments are true and right. So I think we will have a different, um, just a different perspective about that. And I do think, and I have thought about this a lot. I mean, you know, like if I was in heaven and I remembered someone who was part of my life, who whom I loved. Um, I still think I could. I would still keep the memory of them, you know, like you've got the good memories and everything of them, but they just wouldn't be there. And uh, somehow that won't be too troubling for me because I will understand God in a different way. I, like I will not yeah, well, be critical of God's hmm. choice.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it, I, I think I like it that. It takes faith. <laughs> I uh, mean, that's yeah.
1: based on faith, isn't it?
0: It is. I, I like what you said there, that it's trusting in God, God's goodness, that he's a good judge, yeah. um, that heaven will be exactly what it says, um, even if it doesn't particularly address this type of question in the Scripture. Um, you still will be able to believe what the Scripture does say about heaven, that there will be no more tears, he'll wipe mm, away the tear from absolutely, every face. Yeah. And so if the thought of somebody who's not with you brings you to a tear or to sadness—that's not compatible with with heaven. So yeah. you'd have to just trust, like you said, that God has a way in which He will make that fine, that He will make that good, yeah. um, and that we can trust His judgment on that.
1: Also, yeah. Mitch, I think there'll probably be a few surprises in terms of who will be there and yeah, who I think won't so. be there. So often we presume to know the eternal destiny of people, but we don't know their hearts and. You know, we might be pleasantly surprised sometimes who we see in
0: heaven. Yeah. Um, I think um, we might actually open up for Q&A. We've got a little bit of time. What I think would be fun is if if anybody here wanted to ask a question or um, just jump in and, and, you know, mention something, probably more question-based, maybe not like a sermon, just keep it short to like within a minute if you have a question and relevant to what we've talked about tonight would be good. Um, We have a microphone that will be going around. Um, So yeah, we might actually jump into that, I think. Uh, That would be fun. Um, Yeah, so feel free. Don't all put your hands up at once. It could be related to... What was shared about hell, or annihilationism, or universalism, or um, we've got a hand over here. Let's do it. Uh, Mitch and Sandy, yeah, great teaching. Really enjoying it. Um, question in terms of those people who, you know, when we think of the grace of God and His reaching out to all people of all nations. In parts of the world where people haven't had perhaps the same opportunity to hear the gospel, um, you know, there's different teachings in terms of light of conscience or with the light that they've got. I mean, we know the surest way is it someone makes a public profession of Christ uh, and then lives the Christian life. Um, Do you have a, a view on... How, and I believe God is a very fair and just God, and my trust is that He understands all of that well, and He knows the hearts of, of men and women. So, do you have a, any light on that uh, for us? You go first. All right. Um, yeah, this is a really big question. Um, this is known as the the problem of the unevangelized, or those who have never heard. Um, how I see this, this is just my understanding of it. Um, Romans, the first two chapters, talk about a general revelation that God has given to all mankind. It talks about God revealing himself through creation. It says that his invisible attributes have been clearly manifested or made known through what's visible. And so in one sense, there is not a single person who has lived or still lives that knows nothing about God. So God has revealed something about himself He may not have revealed everything about himself, but he has revealed enough. And what I mean by enough is if somebody comes to the decision or the awareness that they are lost and in need of a saviour and they come to a point of repentance and they seek God based on that even small revelation that God has given them, then I think God will give them more light. And I think that eventually... Um, God has many ways of bringing salvation to people. Um, It is still through Christ and Christ alone. But there are many, many stories of people who we've heard who've had testimonies where God has visited them in a dream or sent someone with a Bible or a preacher has come to their town. It goes on and on. I think that God judges people based on the light that he's given them because he's a fair, just God. Um, And I think that if someone seeks God, God will give them the light that's required and necessary for their salvation. Uh, Because ultimately I think God is merciful and that I think he desires all people to be saved. So he has not left anybody without at least some of his um, knowledge.
1: Yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I agree with Romans 1 that um, everybody has a knowledge of God by virtue of the fact of being made in the image of God. Um, and I do believe that God judges us according to the light that we know and how much we have sought God um, with what we've had available with us. Um, and I do, yeah. And I and I I'm comfortable with that. I'm at at peace with that. That God is a just God and He will just uh, judge justly. I also, and I, I'm just going to um, put a little caveat here because this is my personal opinion that I believe that, like, um, just say, you know, one. One person has served God to the best of their ability and the knowledge that they had, but no one came and preached Christ. They didn't say the Sinner's Prayer, all that sort of thing. But when they died, they met Christ. And I, I, I my own, my own understanding of this is that when everyone faces Christ, they will either be—it's like a magnet—you'll either be attracted to Him or repelled from Him. So if you've been seeking for God for all your heart, and you—but you know, you just no one's given you that Jesus is the way. Now, I'm not saying that there's any other way to the Father but through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. You can't come to the Father but through Jesus. But if you've never met Jesus, like before I was saved, I was kind of looking for God. When I met Jesus, I'm going... Oh I've been looking for you all my life, you know. Like, I knew there was this immediate knowledge and knowing that this is, I'm home, this is where I belong, you know. And I think for those, you know, souls that love God, they will have that reaction, that response to Christ. And Christ is merciful and he will embrace them because he says in his word he will in no way cast anyone away from him who comes to him. Um, There will be others, of course, who will be repelled by Christ. They will, um, you know really have animosity towards him and um, and that's a different story but yeah I I think we can rest in the fact of God's character and we don't have to worry about him you know being unfair and that like he's not like a he's not like a human judge that you know doesn't take everything into consideration because you need to know that God knows all things and he knows our entire life like my own salvation experience was um, I had my whole life flash before me like you know in a second Um, and so I knew that I was, you know, having an encounter with God because no one else would know everything about me, and that's how it is for every single human being. That's not just me. So, um, yeah, God is just and God is good.
0: I like that, yeah. Um, We've got another question over here.
1: Hi, my question is, this might be silly, yeah, but uh, what about those people who actually thought they believed in God, but they really did not know Jesus, and they're already dead? And I'm talking about my family who are Muslims. So my parents already died. They went to the grave mm. and without really knowing, and I wasn't able to share to them. Yeah. So wh- where will they be? That's why, that's why it also concerns me, and all of them are still Muslims right now too.
0: Yeah, that's a very, that's a very good question, um, Sandra. No, um, <laughs>
1: I could talk um, to this. <sighs> you might be surprised. What I say.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I want to say just a couple things, um, because obviously it's a personal question, and it's it's not just a abstract concept. It's um it's personal. As a Christian, how I want to answer it is by going to what the Bible says, what Jesus says, and he says that um, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, he who comes to me, um, though he die, he will live. Um, The scripture also says that, just plainly, um, that there is no other name given to man by which man can be saved. And the last thing that I would want to do would be to somehow give an answer that would reject that truth that Jesus has given. But in saying that, there is also a very real side of God, as we've been talking about, that is, he has revealed himself to other people in some, sometimes peculiar ways. Um, I personally am not convinced that um, other religions have everything false. I, I'm of the opinion that there are some truths in many different worldviews um, because I think that God has revealed himself in many different places in the world. And anywhere you find truth, there, there God is in part. All truth is God's truth. So there will be some truths that, say, a Muslim would believe. Um, I don't know the heart condition Of your family members and so I personally don't know where they would be Um, but at the same time um, we we would need to stick to what Scripture says about that God is good he's fair he is merciful Um, steadfast love eternally he is a God who is rich in mercy um, eternally merciful Um, and I think that God will do what is just and what is right so I think we can trust God even if we don't know exactly where they are. I think we can trust that God will do the right thing and we can be okay with that. That's how I would probably answer that one. Yeah. That there is hope because God is good. Yeah. Do you want me to... Did, we... Did you want to... If you had anything you want to say, otherwise we can... we've got other questions too. Are there
1: other questions? I mean, I could... Talk about the, there's a Jewish, classical Jewish view that talks about um, three books, the Book of Life, the Book of the Dead and the Intermediate Book. And it's um, based on the Jewish festivals. uh, uh, It's, well, it's not really based on, well, it is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur um, so Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of the Trumpets, which symbolizes um, the Second Coming of Christ. So, um, and then Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, which symbolizes um, the final judgment. And um, this is in the feast, the annual um, you know feast that the the Jews um, practice. And between Rosh Hashanah is where uh, just. Prior to that, they go through, like, fasting and repentance and everything. And then Rosh Hashanah, there's, uh, like, the righteous are sort of settled to go on for another year, and uh, the wicked aren't. <laughs> and then there's sort of this intermediate group. They've got ten days, at court. they say, the ten days of war. And so they've got ten days to kind of repent before the final judgment. The final judgment, the Lord judges on um, Yom Kippur, whether or not you live for another year. So this is just sort of like, um, you know, and, and all the things that God set up in the Old Testament with the Jewish people, which were his people, were kind of patterns and, you know, revelations of the character of God and the way God operates into the world. So the um, the idea that flows from that is that, um, well, the way one rabbi that I follow um, explains that is that, that there's an intermediate group almost like and I'm not saying this is not in Scripture okay but it doesn't deny it either and this is actually like the early Pharisee called view of the afterlife where Jesus and the disciples lived um, and, and he says there was an intermediate group so there's sort of some scope for um, like when you die you've got the wicked and the righteous and you've got like an intermediate group and they've got the time from like when they die to the final judgment. Um, to whether or not they want to repent. (laughs) Um, Now, you know, you may reject that. That's okay. It's very similar to the Catholic's idea of purgatory. So, um, and it's just one Jewish view Mm. that, well, it's actually the dominant one, that they had time to um, make that final decision before the final judgment. So, um, I don't know whether that helps or not, but for some people it does help. Mm. Yep. Yep.
0: That's really helpful. Probably time for one more question, and then we'll wrap up. Thanks so much for this, because I haven't heard much about revelation and end times and all that, and it's been really interesting. Um, you said that everyone gets to see Christ like before judgment.
1: When do they like like Christ gets to meet them, and then they either reject him or they accept him, even though they might not have heard him being preached. So when does that happen? Well, it's—I mean, my understanding of this is that when you die, you face your maker, and that's what I'm talking about. And so you get sent. So when you, when your body and your soul is separated at death, so our body and soul is separated at death, we go to one or two places. So we either go to Sheol in the grave and we wait there as a holding place until judgment, or we go to heaven. So I, I think it's at that point when we die um, and we meet Christ that we get assigned <laughs> to our place and then we wait there until the second judgment. What, what would you say,
0: Mitch? Um, and I know that's something, you're not saying that scripture explicitly teaches that anywhere, no. that that's something that is... Um, it's you almost know,
1: inferred by yeah, a
0: lot of things. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm open on that. There's something about that that sounds really nice and it sounds fair, it sounds, sounds um, attractive. Um, well, it's
1: not so nice if, you, if you're rebelling against well, if, Christ and then well, you're faced with him.
0: <laughs> no, that's right. If you're somebody who maybe is in kind of a, um, a not a middle ground, but somebody who was a, a, a general God seeker, maybe somebody um, like a Cornelius who passed before meeting Christ or mm.
1: ha-
0: having Jesus reveal himself to you. Um, it sounds nice because it's another alternative to, you know, what about those who have never heard um, the gospel or heard of Jesus' name? Because you have the Old Testament saints who, for many of them, would never have heard of the name Yeshua or, or Jesus. That's But correct. yet these yeah. people were believers and um, righteousness was accredited to them. You know, with Abraham, he was accredited to him as, as righteous because he believed God um, so there is this reality of, you know, you might not have necessarily heard the name of Jesus, um, but that doesn't remove the, per- the point that Christ is necessary for salvation. Yep. Um, so I'm open on that. I don't actually have any hard and fast view on that. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: I don't want to say more than what Scripture says, mm. but I, I, it takes my mind back to, like, pre-resurrection... So before Jesus rose from the dead, no one was in heaven, okay? So pre-resurrection, everyone went into the grave to Sheol or Hades. But in the grave, there were uh, different departments. And this is when we get to Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. So there was um, the bo- the Abraham's bosom, or it's called Genadem, which is the Garden of Eden, or um, Abraham's lap. There's a few different words that the scripture uses. So that's basically the place for the righteous dead. But there was also um, like Gehenna, which was a compartment of Hades for the wicked. And so that whole parable for Luke, uh, Luke 16 with Lazarus and the rich man, See, Lazarus had a, a disproportionately life of suffering in this world and so that he was comforted in that holding place. And whereas the rich man who did not live for God and was very selfish is now you know, being tormented because he didn't obey the Torah and he didn't follow Moses and he didn't love God. Um, so that, but there was a, a chasm between them. And so when it, it talks about the hallowing of um, hell so in ephesians 4 it talks about when jesus christ went down and um, preached to the prisons uh, to the spirits in prison and then led captive a host to heaven so he basically emptied uh, this is where i don't like using the word hell (laughs) emptying hades of the righteous dead because they were just in a holding place there and took them up to heaven so when as a believer post-resurrection When we die, we go straight to heaven. We don't have to go into the grave anymore. So I I suppose I'm just sort of um, inferring from all those things that, um, you know, when you die, I mean, it is appointed for a person to die once and be judged. So I think at that point, the Lord assigns you a place. And because the Lord is, we know who he is in character, we can trust him to send, assign people to the right place. That's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Really good questions. Um, that's going to be a wrap for the Q&A. We'll just close on um, just a final uh, point. Was there anything that, um, Sandra, that you wanted to comment on, just in closure on, on the topic of hell? I mean, given everything that we've talked about, um, is there anything that you would like to mention? Um,
1: just very simple. God is good. God is just. And he is for us. He is so for us. He, he wants to remove sin from our lives because he sees the corruption of it. And if we won't let go of our sin, um, we have to go basically we have to go to hell because he you know sin cannot live in paradise it cannot live in heaven it cannot live in, in you know in god's good creation because it corrupts so if we god wants to he's done everything he needs to do to expiate sin out of our human heart and out of the world but if we refuse that and if we cling to our sin, if we cling to our rebellion and rejection of Christ, there's no other place than um, to be sort of put into an eternal prison. Um, yeah.
0: I like that. God is good. Yes, God good. is just. <laughs> um, let's close with a prayer and um, we'll call it a night. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you um, for just the... You are such a good God that we can trust you, Lord, that when we have questions that are puzzling and, and troubling, Lord, that we can come to you and we can be comforted by your words in your word, God, in, in your scriptures that you've given us. Lord, I just pray for um, anybody who's listened tonight and who's um, perhaps has questions or um, is troubled by something, Lord, we just I just ask that you would, touch them in a very special way, God, that you would meet people's needs and um, that their question or concern would be overwhelmed by your love and grace towards them. And, Lord, I just thank you that you are for us, that you are with us, and, Lord, that ultimately um, hell, is, hell is just, Lord, because you are good, that um, in the end, Lord, that you get the final say that you are good, and that, Lord, we look forward to um, ultimately seeing you um, together. And we just commit the rest of this weekend to you. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this
1: ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our
0: website at rama.org.au.